Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Trevor, Trevor Addenbrook, and it's a blessing to be here with you with this passage of scripture. My day job is a maths teacher, but I have been preaching the word of God now for 25 years under the guidance and tutelage of faithful servants of the word, and it excites me to come today to a passage that is new to me as a preacher, to read it, to study it these past few weeks, and to seek out what God is saying to us here now. So what is God saying to us in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah? You might want to keep the back of the notice sheet with you, with the reading printed on the reverse, or follow along in your Bible. First, a bit of history. By way of a reminder or context, useful if you are new to our series in Nehemiah today, but also useful as a refresher. So in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the Israelites into exile. He was a powerful king, and yes, this was a great victory for him, but this was God's judgment on the people of Israel who had been unfaithful. And he scattered them and sent them into exile. Half a century later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, he overthrew the Babylonians and took control of a vast empire, including Israel and Judah. And he, Cyrus, allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem, which a first group of returnees did. And they rebuilt the temple over the next 20 years. Another half a century later, Ezra, a priest, arrived in Jerusalem, and he is key to our passage today. Nehemiah, an important servant in the Persian king's court, the king by then was Artaxerxes, he didn't arrive in Jerusalem for another 13 years. Now that's where the book of Nehemiah begins. Chapters 1 and 2 have Nehemiah receiving news that, in spite of the passage of time since the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem, the walls are still down, the gates are burned, and the returnees are in trouble and shame. Nehemiah weeps, he mourns, and he prays before seeking the king's permission to go to Jerusalem. And when Nehemiah does return to Jerusalem, he first sets about rebuilding the city walls. And chapters 3 to 7 cover that rebuilding and completion of the wall in the face of significant opposition. And we are now 140 years after Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem and took the people away, and nearly 100 years after Cyrus decreed that the Jews should return to Jerusalem. Fortunes are arguably reversed. The temple has been rebuilt, and now the walls have been rebuilt. The gates are back in place, the defenses are up, and the surrounding nations recognize the God of Israel's hand in that work. And as Susan highlighted last week, even the musicians have been put in place. So here we are, up to chapter 8. A change in focus now. A change from building the walls to building the people. And that is our sermon title today. It is likely that this passage once sat more neatly in the book of Ezra, 
Ezra's memoir, which used to be one book with the book of Nehemiah. But it now sits here, and it allows us to think about this shift, a shift from one activity to another, and from one lead character to another. From Nehemiah and the walls being constructed to Ezra and the people being instructed. I think the point of the editor of these two memoirs, Ezra and Nehemiah, bringing this text in here, the move from construction to instruction, is to address Nehemiah's opening prayer, which was recorded for us back in chapter 1, the prayer he prayed when he heard about the shame and trouble of the people in Jerusalem. You see, all the building work that's been described in Nehemiah's uninterrupted memoir is now complete. So now is the perfect point to return to that prayer, the prayer he prayed before he returned to Jerusalem. Because in Nehemiah's prayer, he confessed the Israelites' sins. They had acted wickedly, he says, by not obeying God's commands, by not obeying God's decrees and laws. And now listen to how Nehemiah describes his reality and that of his fellow Israelites. In that opening prayer, he says, Remember the instruction you, God, gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Well, that's what we see in our passage today. We see the people with Ezra and Nehemiah returning to God and obeying his commands. They're being faithful. They're turning away from decades of unfaithfulness, not by building more walls, but by listening to and understanding and responding to God's word. Now, we are aiming this morning ultimately to pray these three prayers. As the passage divides neatly, it divides neatly into these three sections, a division which I credit to Hugh Palmer, formerly the rector of All Souls Langham Place, who has preached on Nehemiah 8 more than once. We can use these three prayers to frame our journey through the passage, through the chapter. Make us hungry for your word, move us by your word, and make us obedient to your word. So, make us hungry for your word, verses 1 to 8. Our passage starts with, all the people came together and told Ezra to bring out the book. We don't know why, we don't know what prompted them, but regardless, we see unity and hunger for God's word. All the people That's the unity. And they're not summoned by the teacher. They go to the teacher. There's the hunger. And Ezra does as they request. And who is there? Men and women and all who were able to understand. That's children. Then later, all the people listened intently. All the people could see him. Now, how come all the people could see him? This was a vast crowd. 
Some of you may remember that a few weeks ago, John said if anyone calls this a stage, he would punch them. <laughs> now, I don't want to uh, reenact the Oscars here <laughs> with Will Smith and Chris Rock and <laughs> me calling this a stage and John coming up with his arms flailing like a helicopter and whacks me across the face. But they built a stage <laughs> so that Ezra would stand above them as I do above you. Not all of you this morning. All the people could see him. All the people lifted their hands and responded. And later in the day, all the people went away. They were all there throughout. No one drifted off. They had a hunger for the word and they all stuck at it. Ezra read the law of Moses, God's word, from daybreak till noon. That was six hours. Six hours during which they listened attentively, they worshipped, they praised, and they wept. Now, I, in my life, can't get close to that experience. But... As some of you know, before I became a school teacher, I was a university lecturer in engineering. And I was thinking back because on one of our master's courses on which I lectured, I was allocated three hour lecture slots. Not like a lesson at school where the, the students are working away, but a lecture, multiple lectures, three hours at a time. And the topic was the settlement of buildings. Uh, more relevant perhaps to Nehemiah's wall building than Ezra's uh, word reading, but bear with me. So I vaguely recall that we had to, well, I, I had to, <laughs> bear with, we've got three hours. <laughs> I had to lead the students through the derivation and solution of these four simultaneous second order partial differential equations in four unknowns. <laughs> and I can assure you they, they listened attentively for three hours, and by the end, they were weeping. <laughs> Not convinced they were hungry for the next three-hour instalment. Now, that, John, is called overcompensation, because last time I stood here, I couldn't find two numbers that added to 150. <laughs> so if you work on that for the next 10 minutes, he's already tweeted it to his son, Tom to have a go at during the sermon. <laughs> the truth is these days you wouldn't bother. This was de developed in the 1940s. You just wouldn't bother doing it by hand now. It just goes into a computer and it all gets solved for you. But back to Ezra. Not in the 40s, John. <laughs> for those in the balcony, John just said, were you lecturing in the 40s? <laughs> in my 40s, I'll leave it. But all the people there with Ezra, they were hungry for God's word. They, they, they just wanted to hear him read. Get the book, Ezra. Read it to us. But notice, it's not just Ezra. He's not just the one on, on that not a stage to whom they are listening. They're the Levites as well. Did you notice that? They were there among the crowd, instructing the people. It says they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. This is not just a hunger to hear the word of God, but also to 
understand it. And we pray, make us hungry for your word, Lord, like those Israelites. Pope Francis has many great qualities, but in January, he was reported to have said that preaching should be limited to eight to ten minutes. I'm over ten minutes already, and I'm still on point one. You may agree with Francis. I don't. The people of Ezra's time would not have agreed with him. Ezra, bring out the book. Read it to us. Explain it to us. We will make time. We want to hear it and understand it. Six hours, all still there, hungering for God's word. So did the first Christians. Acts 2, 42. Luke tells us the thousands of converts who were baptized on the day of Pentecost. That's also in Jerusalem. And after, after Jesus had died, risen again, ascended to God the Father, and sent his spirit, they gathered together and all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, to God's word. And Paul wrote to the Colossians, let the word dwell in you richly. Make us hungry for your word, Lord. It is right that in this place, each Sunday, we all gather we hear God's word read and we listen attentively as it is explained. Yes, we sing, we pray, we meet and greet, but by duration, by time length, the single longest part of our collective act of worship is listening to God's word being read and explained. And that, friends, is good. Give thanks for it. Not all are blessed with that. Give thanks and pray each week, each day, Pray this prayer. Make us hungry for your word, Lord. Now our second prayer. Move us by your word, Lord. It's verses 9 to 12. All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. There is sorrow. The words and, and the understanding of them gets right to the heart and the tears flow. They're listening to Ezra and the Levites reading the likes of Leviticus, Deuteronomy. But they're hardly the great tear-jerkers of Scripture, are they? And yet the tears are flowing from Old Testament Bible study as they heard what kind of people God intended them to be. And they realized how far they had fallen short. And they wept. When were we last moved by God's truth? When did we last approach a Bible reading or Bible study with open, soft hearts, expecting and hoping to be moved? Move us by your word, Lord. But notice, listening to and understanding God's word also brings joy. Ezra, Nehemiah and the Levites say, do not mourn or weep. Nehemiah repeats, do not grieve, for the joy of the word is your strength. He also told them to go, to enjoy good food and sweet drinks, and to share those good things with others. And they did, with joy. They are now grasping the reality of what God said to Moses. Words they are now hearing and understanding. If you return to me, says God, I will restore you. Move us by your word, Lord. Let us dwell 
briefly on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as summarized by Jesus himself to Nicodemus in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In John's gospel, the world is not a reference to the planet Earth, it's, it's a reference to the people who have rejected God, the people who have turned away from him. Well, hearing that brings sorrow when we recognize ourselves, when we are humbled by Jesus' perfection and faithfulness contrasted with our imperfection and unfaithfulness. But then joy when we realize we are loved unconditionally by God, so much so that his own perfect and faithful son died in our place, took the punishment we deserve for our imperfection and unfaithfulness so that we will enjoy eternal life with him. Move us by your word, Lord. Let me briefly tell you about uh, someone close and dear to me. Uh, so Sarah, my wife, Felix, our son, and I, we were in Wales on Friday for Sarah's stepfather's funeral, Adrian, his funeral. Adrian was very ill and dying for a long time. He was in bed, he had uh, oxygen to help him breathe, and it took him a long time to come to the end. But during that time, he gave his life to Christ. And the pastor who led the funeral on Friday wept with joy as he told the hundred people gathered there that he'd baptized Adrian just months before he died. Now, when Adrian declared his faith, he was hungry for the word. He started reading the Bible and listening on audio to the Bible all the time. And he started at the beginning, Genesis. He was going through Deuteronomy, Numbers, Nehemiah, uh, Leviticus, books like this. And it took a while before his wife, Sarah's mum, said, why don't you try Mark's gospel? Might be a bit easier. But he was hungry for the word. He couldn't put it down. And there were tears of joy on Friday as we celebrated his life and said, Adrian, we will see you again. Now our final section. Make us obedient to your word, Lord. Verses 13 to 18. You see, on the next day, a smaller group gathered again with Ezra, a group of elders, if you like, the heads of the families, the priests and the Levites. They wanted a deeper Bible study with Ezra. They'd found a passage that set out the details of a festival and how to market that month, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. A reminder, now they had restored the city and its walls and the defenses were up and perhaps they felt stable a reminder, it was not ever thus. During the exodus from Egypt, the people had camped in the wilderness. And on reading and understanding, they obeyed. They celebrated that festival how God said they should, including, verse 18 at the end of our reading, day after day, Ezra read from the book of the law. So we echo that prayer. Make us obedient to your word, Lord. Are there elements of God's teaching that we've forgotten or that have lessened in importance over time? 
maybe through a hunger for God's word and a longing to be moved by God's word, those things might be renewed in our lives through obedience. Before we we finish, let me share my own recent and current adventures in the scriptures, my, my Bible reading. So last year, January through to December, I was reading Tim Keller's My Rock, My Refuge, which comes from the psalm John referred to at the beginning of our service today. And he has uh, taken the psalms, the full book of psalms, and divided it up, and through a daily reading over 365 days, you cover the entire book of psalms with a reading and some explanation, some understanding, and some meditation and prayer. Prior to that, I've enjoyed John Stott's Bible in a year, takes the whole Bible, divides it again, 365. You don't read the entire Bible, but you read sections as you go through to get the full story, Genesis to Revelation, again with a passage and then some explanation. John Stott's explanation really does give you understanding and then prayer and reflection. And at the moment, I'm reading Andrew Ollerton's book, The Bible, which we studied together. You might remember last year, those that were here last year, as a sermon series and in small groups. Uh, I was a bit behind because I was doing Tim Keller at that time, so I held on to Andrew Ollerton, and I'm now going through that. And John tells me he's listening to David Suchet's reading of the entire Bible, uh, which is available on Audible. So lots there, and John will share with us some ideas as well in a moment of things we can do to keep us hungry for the word, moved by the word, and obedient to the word. So there we have Nehemiah chapter 8. But we can't leave these three prayers that speak to us from Nehemiah 8 without considering the Apostle John's awesome insight inspired by the Holy Spirit deep into the truth of the mystery of God. Listen to John chapter 1 verse 14. The word, God's word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So while this passage in Nehemiah exhorts us to hunger for the Bible, to be moved to sorrow and joy by the Bible, and to be obedient to the Bible, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, we bow our heads, let us pray. Father God, make us hungry for your word, move us by your word, make us obedient to your word. Father God, make us hungry for Jesus, move us by Jesus, make us obedient to Jesus. Amen.